The solar developers that are really experienced and have kind of mastered uh, the process and putting those deals together, they'll continue to come up with you know, innovative ways to participate in the power business and, and grow renewables. But when it comes to kind of the oil and gas business, those that stay the course, <laughs> don't jump ship, align themselves with opportunities that are profitable in this new space, I think those will be the really interesting ones to watch. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode 68 starts right now, and we're very excited about the program today, as we are each and every week, as we welcome to today's show, Miss Emily Easley, CEO of Novus Energy Advisors, a 20-year veteran of the energy business. She's worked on both the oil and gas as well as renewable side. And of course, she's doing that right now in her current role, help facilitating businesses in the oil and gas structure over to the renewable side of things. So we're going to get her perspective on that as well as the energy transition and kind of what she's helping her clients with. Plus, she's also a Heart Energy 40 Under 40 honoree as well. So great stuff from Emily. Can't wait to talk to her. But before we do that, we've got a name a news minute with a very big announcement from Mr. Steve Shepard. But before we get to Steve, let's hear from our own Ann Niemer, COO and co-founder of eRenewable, telling you what we do here at eRenewable. Hi, Ann Niemer here, co-founder and COO of eRenewable. At eRenewable, we know everyone has sustainability needs and wants. We want to help you reach your ESG goal. Our goal is to bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both buyers and sellers. Our electronic management tool helps streamline the RFP process. Whether you need to procure energy or find an off-taker for a renewable project, our platform will provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. Our other projects include solar or battery storage development, renewable natural gas or responsibly sourced gas, LED lighting, and HVAC efficiency upgrades, or unbundled RECs or RSG certificates, all helping our customers reach their sustainability goals and meeting their ESG needs. Please visit our website at eRenew.net or call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Thank you so much for that, Miss Ann Niemer. Of course, you can find out more about the company over at eRenew.net. And of course, follow us over on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at eRenew2020. That's at eRenew2020. All right, let's take some time out for Mr. Steve Shepard with a very special announcement. Of course, every other week we have the Name and News Minute, a Green Insider podcast exclusive, but a very special announcement today from Mr. Steve Shepard announcing the newest executive director for the Name organization. Steve? Hi, Fred. This is Steve Shepard, Executive Director of the North American Energy Markets Association. Thanks again for the opportunity to provide another NEMA News Minute. I have some exciting news for the Green Insiders listeners. NEMA is very pleased to announce that Tim Berrigan will become NEMA's third Executive Director effective January 1st. Tim comes to NEMA with a 36-year career in the energy industry with deep experience in energy markets and energy infrastructure projects. Tim has previously worked at Georgia Power, Merit, DTE Energy Trading, Decker Energy, and has served as an executive consultant and expert witness. 
I'm going to work behind the scenes through the 2022 Spring Conference to ensure a smooth transition for Tim. I look forward to introducing Tim to the Green Insiders listeners on an upcoming Name and News Minute. NAMA's virtual presentation series continues with a special series of three interrelated panel discussions, which will take a deep dive into the challenges and opportunities presented by the explosive growth and the energy-related needs of data centers and electric vehicles. The first panel, featuring representatives from data centers and EVs, will be on November 3rd. The second panel, on grid infrastructure challenges, featuring representatives from MISO, PJM, and SPP, will be on November 17th. And the third panel, featuring NEMA members who are delivering solutions now, will be on December 6th. Look for additional information on NEMA's website, NEMA.com, and in future NEMA News Minutes. NEMA's member-only small-scale regional receptions also continue, with the next reception scheduled in Indianapolis on November 3rd. More information is available on the website. On the membership front, we're very excited that we continue to add new companies. This week, we're pleased to announce that the Lansing Board of Water and Light has joined NEMA as a market member. LBWL is a municipally owned public utility that provides safe, reliable, and affordable utility products and services to more than 97,000 electric and 56,000 water customers throughout the greater Lansing, Michigan area. Contact information for LBWL will be posted to the website shortly. Lastly, a number of NEMA members, including ACES, DT Energy Trading, and Tidal Energy Marketing, have posted a variety of job opportunities. Details can be found at the website. That's it for now. We look forward to giving another update soon. Thanks, Fred. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Steve Shepard. To learn more about what's going on at NEMA, the webinar series they've got going on, and all the other information, if you're not a NEMA member, to learn more about how to become a member, go to NEMA.com. And, of course, all their RFPs and all the other information is on the website as well. All right, let's get right down to it. Please welcome to the program Miss Emily Easley. Her 20-year career in the energy business, what Novus is doing to help its customers with the energy transition, and some of the things she sees happening as we move on to 2022. Here is Emily Easley. Emily? You know, I started in the renewable business in the early 2000s following uh, studies of the Enron organization and, and business and, and really got a curiosity in the power business and was encouraged to get into renewables. And so I joined my Texas friends up in Washington, D.C., while they were working with the Bush administration and I got into the energy business and to solar at the time before tax credits and peak oil was in sight. And spent a decade working with the electric power utilities on the regulated side um, as they were kind of adjusting to new business models of independent power producers and, and customers with the ability to sell power back to them with uh, net metering policies in states and through solar technology. And then, you know, following our first born, I encouraged my husband to move to Texas. A bunch of my friends had moved back home and, and there it was. You know, I was in a number of conversations with oil and gas friends and family and realized there was just such a gap in understanding of information and kind of the renewable space and a huge political divide and still is, you know, but I have always looked at the energy business as truly that and, you know, shared information and, you know, started a consulting business kind of as a niche player and providing a perspective on renewables that was very unbiased. And since then, yes, it's very different. I mean, now 2021, 
our fourth administration living in the DC area and you know, renewables have been bipartisan for, you know, a long time. Uh, but I would say just from my Texas roots and that perspective, you know, oil and gas is a culture, it's a community and it's very old school. And so, you know, the shift and understanding and kind of knowledge in the renewable business and then these opportunities as it relates to the electrons meeting these molecules is very fast paced in where it's accelerating to. And I just think in the last six months, now that the industry has responded to the new administration, kind of the culture that is and the business that, you know, will be for the next four years, you know, you're starting to see a lot more, you know, open-mindedness, but also just embracing and kind of innovative solutions with these technologies. Let's call it what it is. A girl from Texas doing renewables 20 years ago really wasn't the, the, the in thing to do. Here we are now 20 years later. What have you noticed as far as the, you know, more adoption of renewables, regardless of what part of the country you're from? And what are you seeing as being the biggest divide right now between the renewable industry and the fossil fuel industry? Well, I mean, I think in the 2000s, what was interesting and really what the Bush administration supported with the initial tax credits were, you know, solar panels made in America, right? We were reducing our dependence on fossil fuels. And, and so it really was a economic development kind of opportunity. And I see so many parallels right now with that, with natural gas and kind of the oil and gas industry with the ability to have LNG and oil exports. And so, you know, in the late 2000s, when China really took over the manufacturing and put a lot of the U.S. solar manufacturing out of business, I think that, you know, as far as what's happened with that shift is you're starting to see natural gas producers really have the same themes. And, and so, you know, that shift of how do we use this is a renewable technology, but it really is equipment, right? It's it's equipment, it's electrons that power, you know, our daily lives. You know, you're starting to see like these questions of will we bring manufacturing back to the US? You know, how do we continue to you know support the economic and just job creations of oil and gas, knowing that it's accelerating, but transitions take a long time. And there is a lot of value in in just the regulation and how we produce and environmental impact of the U.S. compared to other countries, but also just the social dynamics of labor laws and equality. And and, and so I think that in, in my perspective, it's become more as an umbrella and how it's being looked at under America rather than this polarized divide between the technologies because of ESG. We've had several folks, Chuck McConnell being one of them, I'm sure you know Chuck, talked about this is an opportunity from the United States perspective to show to the rest of the world to take kind of the lead when it comes to advancing renewable technology and being able to get both parties on board. Are we there yet? And what's going to need to happen for both parties to get on board? Because again, this energy transition is not going to happen independently of each other. Well, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And frankly, I mean, how many industries are truly American industries, right? The energy business in the United States, it's clearly a very attractive investment opportunity given all of the institutional investors that are hungry for um, assets here. But I, I do think that part of the problem is exactly that, is the fact that investors have received so much pressure to divest of fossil fuels. And without that capital, it makes it 
you know, that much more challenging for oil and gas operators to continue to, you know, build their businesses. And so, you know, when you look at the bridge between renewables and oil and gas, you know, how do we as a country educate not just investors, but the environmental community, the new generation of youth that's coming up and maybe, you know, has a perspective on climate that we all should have. I don't think anybody is still back in the days of the polar bear, you know, and the and the, <laughs> and the melting ice. I mean, it is here. Climate change is here. It, there's very few that are the last standing, you know, blockbuster manager who, <laughs> who <laughs> haven't realized that, you know, that this is happening. And so how do you get a clear message across as to, you know, we are trying to accelerate and lower our carbon footprint and emissions. And I think you're starting to see just even in the sustainability reports that have been released from oil and gas companies in the last month, that they're starting to be more transparent. I mean, I think they've done a good job in aligning as an industry, but not necessarily, you know, specifically as far as their corporate companies and that pressure that investors have put on them allows them to have a benchmark to be able to start to track and, and better measure kind of how they're doing their business responsibly. But I think that it's up to a lot of the policymakers, but also just the overall kind of country to ensure that, you know, the pressure that you're putting on the industry, really, you're seeing the full scope of the number of jobs that, you know, it employs and really how much uh, it's critical in every other Part of our daily lives. I mean, look at, you know, oil and gas prices when they just, the cost has just gone up. I mean, that's just going to impact all of us in inflation. Right. And so you know, as we get back and, and recover from this pandemic, it's, it's a little frightening in a way where you realize that it's not just driving your car. And yes, we'd all, you know, like a big check to be able to go buy a Tesla tomorrow. But again, it's, it's just getting more expensive to run your business here. Emily, as you discussed the oil and gas players in the United States, and we all know who the big ones are, they may not necessarily believe in climate change, but the investor community alone, not even counting the government, are forcing them to go down that ESG route and become sustainable and have a climate action plan in place. Are you seeing a need within your own business to help those oil and gas firms that you've known in the past go green, to go renewable, and have those uh, set those climate action plans in place? Well, I mean, I think the first comment that you made about believing, right? I mean, you know, in, in in my personal opinion, beliefs are personal, right? And so I don't know that I think that oil and gas companies don't believe in climate change. I think that, and I hear this, that they have inve made investments on behalf of their investors, that they have a duty to fulfill those, you know, returns that <laughs> they underwrote, right? And right. so- whether you know it was 10 15 years ago and and you can state kind of the reasoning behind their various risk scenarios and the impact on climate then versus now you know i think that that's the challenge is that oil and gas returns they are much greater returns than they are in renewables and so you know to have to as a corporation adjust and shift to say you know that we're going to divest from investments that actually make our investors money, which is our job, right? We are hired to do, but do it responsibly and then also shift into renewables. How do we do that? 
And how do we continue to build a profitable business? And that to me is the biggest challenge I hear. And then in addition to that, it's the business that we set out and have been so successful to do. We're now continuing to not only hit roadblocks, whether it be in building out pipelines and infrastructure, but also in projects that are approved and then they're not, right? And the amount of wasted time, money, headache in the political environment where you think you've got to win and then you have to kind of retract that and rethink how you're going to move forward. That to me is the biggest impact. So my question would be, and, you know, and I think to others that you speak to on the podcast is how do you continue to move forward, right? When you know that change is very, it's happening. It's very unclear. There is really not a crystal ball. We know that we all uh, depend on reliable, affordable energy. We want it to be clean, but then you're kind of at the mercy of these politicians that for better or for worse are, you know, answering to kind of the next election cycle. And as corporations, you need to be able to run a business to know that what does that mean for your investments? And I guess that's kind of where Novus Energy comes in, because I know you guys dealing in the oil and gas space, but also in the renewable space as well. You guys right now or gals are kind of help bridging that gap. Oh, I mean, I guess we try, Fred. I mean, you know, it's it's all about information. You know, I get a lot of crickets and just speaking to the fact that there's so much that's been interesting. And A, since, you know, January, I mentioned I was in Houston at the Petroleum Club when Biden was rolling out all of his executive orders. And, you know, and and those are moments of kind of salt on the wound, right, for the oil and gas community. But to see how far it's come in just a matter of, you know, six to nine months and look at what's happening with carbon capture sequestration, with hydrogen. And so you're starting to see a lot of, I think, positive outcomes from new opportunities in oil and gas, but it doesn't mean that we're not still operating kind of this unclear dynamic. So how do you take, you know, we spend a lot of time saying, okay, here's the political nature of Washington, D.C., right? This is kind of how do you hedge your bets on these kind of potential policy changes because we're now in another cycle of are we going to have tax credits extended? You know, they could have a, a significant impact if some of this, you know, policy and, and the infrastructure bill changes. But we need to make business decisions now. And so looking back, you can learn a lot from history. Looking back, you can actually look at some of these policymakers and know what's motivating them. Virginia is in the middle of, you know, a very heated governor election right now. And Manchin's kind of in the hot seat of everybody thinks that he has all the power. So you take all of that information and then you take it back to of the the boardroom and say okay that's one piece of the pie and so then the next is how do these technologies come together and then where are the projects and where are the markets for those projects and so you know i would say that from there you get a lot of interesting perspectives from really experienced energy business executives that have said we've been here before we we know what this is like maybe it feels you know more polarized politically than it ever has if you can take that out and, and truly it is noise, it is distracting and try not to get, you know, too sidetracked into the banter and the complaints, but okay, now we need to move forward. And how do we progress and move our business forward? And I think that you're starting to see some of the bigger oil and gas companies do that. 
And then certainly on the renewable side, what is really interesting are the new players. I mean, Amazon, Google, people aren't realizing that the regulatory environment from our utilities as consumers is changing significantly. Who's selling us our power? And Texas certainly experienced some of that in the storm last February, but in a deregulated market, you have retail players who weren't part about of that kind of industry before. And so it's pretty interesting to think that it's not really oil and gas again, you know, versus renewables. It's these are producing technologies that are managed by new players in this space. And that I think is going to be a fascinating model to watch over the next decade. With you being in DC and having Texas roots, what was what was kind of the scuttlebutt you heard and what was kind of the thirty thousand foot view from the folks in DC when it came to what went down in ERCOT and kind of the fallout that that uh, obviously or that, that ensued? Well, I mean, I think it's just so interesting because I'm so proud you know what ERCOT is now, right? I mean, you know, who, who knew that, right? Who who talked about FERC? I mean, these regulatory entities around power, the renewable geeks as myself really find fascinating. And so, you know, I think from DC's perspective, you didn't hear a lot because that's a regional regulatory entity that I think all Texans didn't appreciate had a lot of power over your daily lives. And so what's interesting is that consumer education, I think that is happening across the board. We're all getting smarter and more educated into how everything's changing and now it's energy. And so from DC's perspective, what's interesting is that there's a new FERC commissioner that was appointed and will get confirmed. And then there'll be a majority of Democratic FERC commissioners that will likely accelerate a lot of policy around renewables. But as far as regional markets, you know, FERC delegates to ERCOT. So I watched it from afar, you know, as friends and families really suffered. And it was heartbreaking just knowing that, you know, Texas is not equipped for that. I mean, you know, not not those temperatures first off, but to be without food and water. And then, you know, it's always the communities who have already kind of gone through really catastrophic experiences and just rebuilt and then get hit again. And I, and I hope that there's better information that's shared. I feel like when you are lost and trying to find answers, there's a lot of finger pointing. And instead of shifting blame to one party or the other, you know, I do think that and hope that there's, you know, some some policymakers that come together to realize that let's just make a plan, right, to make sure that we reduce the risk of that ever happening again. In today's renewable world, what are you working on with some of your customers? You know, we go in and do a, kind of an assessment of where are you today? You know, I think that renewables tend to be the flashy toy. You know, a lot of it's where we want to learn about solar. We want to understand renewables. And, and so we start there and talk a little bit about it. But I think that, you know, we go in and look at core competencies into, you know, whether you're in the midstream business and, you know, are looking to kind of green up your operations or, you know, optimize with solar assets and, and, and reduce costs while, you know, having renewable energy credits. And so I think there's that theme that I've seen from our clients really in the last six to eight weeks is we just announced our sustainability report. We now are making plans and goals to reduce our emissions. How do we go about reducing while also identifying growth opportunities in this space? 
and it's two different initiatives, right? And they can be complementary, but when you look at your environmental E in the ESG, that has, you know, it's it's a reducing kind of effort, right? Efficiencies. I always look at it, it's like weight loss, right? So, you know, it's like you got to get on the scale, you've got to see kind of where you are, and then figure out, you know, how am I going to get, you know, from A to B? And then in addition to that, I don't want to just be where I was. I want to actually be better than I was, right? And I want to build a profitable business. And so where are those opportunities that are going to kind of accelerate our business, but our longer term vision for how we're going to make our investors kind of have confidence in us as a corporation. And I think that you're seeing a lot of renewable natural gas investments, which is really interesting, but mostly because you can use existing infrastructure for that resource. You know, hydrogen, I think, got a lot of attention at the beginning of the year and is certainly starting to get a little bit more traction. But because of kind of the physics behind the science and hydrogen and blending molecules are just more complicated in nature than electrons, right? Electrons, you produce it, it's like water and they go into a pipe and, or into a transmission line and, and produce. But, you know, I think that what you're seeing from companies that have been either, you know, in EOR or the kind of CO2 space, they're narrowing in their focus to carbon capture sequestration and of where are the bottlenecks and regulatory challenges there and what needs to be defined. Or if it's fuel, you're starting to see, like I said, the renewable fuels. And then how does hydrogen fit into that? And then where do renewables have to play? And so there's there's certainly, I think, a lot of progress that has been made just with the recent announcements. I mean, Mississippi has one of the biggest hydrogen projects that was announced a few weeks ago. Some of the big companies that are working in the Gulf of Mexico with kind of their CO2 efforts and carbon management, it's it's going to be an interesting year 22 to see kind of where this fact-finding has allowed for investment decisions to be made, the projects to be built out, and then to see which of those kind of is going to be the path for repeatable business moving forward. Good chatter with this two-part question. One, biggest challenges and what do you see as being the biggest positive moving forward as we navigate this energy transition between renewables and fossil fuels? And then two, what's on tap for Novus moving forward? When I look at Texas and, you know, I typically tend to be a homesick Texan in the Washington, D.C. area, but what's happening in the traditional oil and gas space as it relates to and of this newer area, I think it's extremely exciting. And, you know, and and to look at kind of the geography and the way that kind of the Gulf Coast over through Louisiana has really pockets of geology that can be utilized for some of the carbon management strategies. And so for me, I mean, that's what I think gets me excited every day because with renewables and solar, it's everywhere. I mean, and it has been, and it can be. I mean, it's abundant. It was driven by policy early on. I was always fascinated by New Jersey being one of the, the biggest markets. And and when you first talk about renewables, you don't think that, right? You think where the sun shines the most. And 
No, I mean, it was largely driven by state policy. And so that will continue. I mean, and the solar developers that are really experienced and have kind of mastered uh, the process and putting those deals together, they'll continue to come up with you know, innovative ways to participate in the power business and, and grow renewables. But when it comes to kind of the oil and gas business, those that stay the course, <laughs> don't jump ship, align themselves with opportunities that are profitable in this new space, I think those will be the really interesting ones to watch. 2022 um, is a year of second term elections, right? And so you're going to see leading up to next fall, a lot of attention to what happens politically with the House and the Senate. If those flip, what that means for the implications of whatever comes out of this infrastructure bill. I mean, even today I heard again that they they don't know what's in it and they don't know how they're going to pay for it. <laughs> and and so I think following, you know, the end of the year cycle, setting the stage for kind of what the energy transition looks like in 22 and beyond, we're going to spend a lot of time focusing on that and navigating kind of what are the key areas, projections for more mature processes and where companies end up going and investing and 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 making money and you know evolving space under a cleaner more responsible environment thanks so much for that miss emily easley you can find all of the green insider episodes over at apple itunes google play spotify erenew.net or wherever you get your podcasts and of course big shout out to our co-founder and ceo mr mike Niemer. you can check him out at the energy trading risk summit usa that's going to go down here in houston next week you can learn more about it on the website as well erenew.net uh, our interview with mr howard walper over at alpha insight can't wait to hear about what mike has to say on vppas ppas as well as RSG. It's going to be a great conversation from Mr. Mike Niemer. That's going to go down on November 4th. If you can't make it to the summit to hear Mike's speech, don't worry about it. Or We will be posting the speech from Mike uh, here on the website and here on the podcast, so you definitely do not want to miss that. Like I said, great information from Mike Niemer on the VPPA space. Shout out to everybody that's made the Green Insider possible, everybody over at the eRenew team, Mike and Al, and everybody that helps make the Green Insider possible. I am Fred Davis. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier. Ain't